glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. We are going to go ahead and read uh, the whole chapter. It is only uh, 23 verses long, so it shouldn't take us just a few moments to read, a couple of minutes to read this. So beginning verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let him let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. And we just pause. The context is whether you can eat meat or you've, you've got to be a vegetarian. And if you read the chapters I mentioned before, Acts 15 and 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 10 and Romans 14, you'll understand what Paul is dealing with. There were those who once they got saved quit eating meat because they associated meat eating with idolatry. They would go down and worship idols. At the idol's temple there were offerings where you could get the meat and eat it as part of your idolatrous sacrifice Coupled with that was immoral living, fornication and so forth. So when they got saved, they scrapped the whole thing. They said, we're not going to eat any meat. Now, that was permissible. Paul calls those folks weak in the faith. Their conscience was weak. They did not understand. You don't have to stop eating meat. You do need to not eat meat that is associated with idolatry, but you don't have to stop eating meat. Now, there were others who understood that. Meat doesn't commend you to God whether you eat meat or not. That meat's just a piece of meat. There were people that understood that and had strong consciences and would eat meat. So there is a possibility of despair disputation between those who didn't eat meat, judging those who did and say, well, you're still committing idolatry. And the people who are eating meat, despising those who did not. How do you know that we have differences? And they're not differences of right and wrong, but they're differences. It can form uh, a, a point of contention. So we must guard against it. And so in this subject, it's not a matter of could you eat meat or not. It, it was going to be a matter of conscience in this regard. So Verse 4, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he should be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. Verse 5, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not to the, the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. And he's talking to believers. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Verse 9, for to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give an account, give account of himself to God. Second Corinthians 5.10 says that. And we will give an account for the things done in our body. Verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. 
But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Verse 23 says, He that eateth not of faith is damned. It's not talking about losing your salvation. It's talking about being condemned as far as uh, out of out of line in your practice. And the idea would be what you've done is not going to stand certainly before the judgment seat. Uh, there's no reference there to losing your salvation over what you eat, but you're going to be condemned even in your own conscience, and your work is not going to stand, no doubt, uh, if you're not eating and doing what you're doing in faith. So my, my point in reading Romans 14 is diet matters. Well, how we think about what we put in our bodies does matter. And as I say that, some might think that the next 30, 40 minutes is going to be a health food conference. That's not what this is. I want us to have a proper biblical understanding about diet from the Christian perspective, about what we put in our bodies and what should be the guiding principles of God's Word along those lines. And so then, I'm going to give you uh, four things tonight to consider concerning the child of God and his or her diet. The child of God should have, and I'm going to give you four things, these four things when it comes to uh, what we put in our bodies. Number one, we should have a a proper purpose for our eating. A proper purpose. You say, the reason I eat is to survive. That's true. But you realize you and I get to pick what we eat. You can eat bread and drink water and survive. Can you not? I can eat bread and drink water and survive. You, I, I enjoy one of my wife's homemade hot rolls with real butter and apricot jam. Now, that is just real good. I told her the other day, she took them hot out of the oven. I said, that's right there with Krispy Kreme donuts. And it's not even a donut, but man, is that some kind of good. But I don't have to have that to survive. We get to pick what we're going to eat, correct? We do. Therefore, that's the context of this, wherein we have a choice. We're not talking about... Uh, everyone has to eat to live. God knows that. So he provides for us. He provides food for us to eat. But wherein we have a choice about what we eat and with whom we eat and when we eat, then we need to be wise about why we do what we do. And so numerous times in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 8, Romans 14, Paul deals with the liberty that the Christian has and every one of those the subject is to eat meat or not. You have liberty to do this, but you need to be careful because you may use your liberty near someone as a weak conscience and embolden them to sin. You may somehow embolden idolatry, so you need to have a proper purpose in eating. Look, if you would, very quickly then, at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. We need to understand when God says, uh, whatsoever you do, Colossians 3.23, whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men. Is our diet um, uh, a point of our lives that God is just not concerned with? 
And I, no, it's not. I think we, we have these aspects of our life that we compartmentalize. So, for instance, I think we're tempted to say, well, you know what, God cares how I speak to people, and God cares about if I pay my bills. I mean, I can see that, and if I'm honest and tell the truth, I don't think He cares what I eat, but He does. Because what we eat has an effect on us, and it has an effect on those around us. People, how many of you know that eating is more than just putting stuff in your body? How many of you know that eating has to do with fellowship? With whom we eat and what we eat does many times make a statement. Paul is dealing with that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, you cannot drink the cup of idols and eat the Lord's table. They're both associated with two different things. It'd be like saying this night, look at you can't go down to the casino and drink and get drunk and gamble and play that and turn right around and come up here and eat the Lord's Supper. All of that is associated with greed and sin and the Lord's table is associated with righteousness and godliness. Those are two different tables and you can't be eating at both of them. They are, you are fellowshipping with two different gods. Say, really? Drinking and gambling is a god? Absolutely. The god is money and pleasure. <laughs> And when we're taking of the Lord's table, we're saying Jesus Christ is God. God the Father is God. We are serving Him. So in 1 Corinthians 10.31, in the context of saying you cannot partake of the table of devils and the table of the Lord at the same time, he says this. Let me back up just a little bit to put it in context. He says in verse 23, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, talking about food, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not, so an unbeliever, bid you to a feast and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it. Do what does he say? Eat not. Don't put it in your body. Uh, for conscience sake, for the, excuse me, um, for the sake of him uh, that, that says this. Let me back up just a little bit. If any man that believe not, verse 27, bid you to a feast and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols. Now it's something that's in opposition to God. Eat not for his sake that showed it and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat, or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to what? The glory of God. Make sure that whatever you do, whether you're eating or drinking, that you are honoring God with your diet. Now, if this scripture weren't here, I'm not sure we would even think about it. We would think about, does it taste good? Do I want it? You know, whatever it may be. But God says in your diet, you need to have a right purpose. In what we choose to eat, we need to make sure that we are representing our God well in the decisions that we make. And the context of this would be, some things if you eat, you're going to be, you're going to be encouraging sin and idolatry. And so then uh, we need to, number one, the proper purpose in our diet is to exalt the Savior. We need to glorify God. Number two, and he just mentioned it, we just read it, it is to edify the saints. He said, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Meaning I may be allowed, I may have the right, but it's not in line with my purpose. 
It's not in line with my purpose. All things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. If you know your Bible, you know that the child of God has liberty to eat pork. That's Bible. But it may not always be expedient to eat pork. May I say this? The, uh, the, the missionary we had to Israel was back here a while back. I don't remember if any of you remember the brother we had through, Brother Ross. Uh, he was a missionary to Israel. To my knowledge, he does not eat pork. You say he's conformed. No, he does not want to be an offense. He's trying to win those people to Jesus Christ. He knows if he does not honor their diet, they'll think he's promoting some kind of idolatry. And he says, no, I don't. The man has liberty to forego that. You say, he's allowed to eat pork. I know, but he's also allowed not to. We need to be mindful of that. What does, what statement does what I'm eating make? Uh, what am I, what am I encouraging in someone else? We'll say more about that later in the message. So, but our motive needs to be, number one, I want to glorify God. We glorify God through worshiping Him and honoring Him and obeying Him and promoting that in other people. Number two, our diet should be to the end that it edifies, not offends somebody else. And by offend, we don't mean hurt their feelings. If you did that, if that's what it meant every time, you say, well, I don't like mushrooms and you do and it offends me you eat them. That's not what he's talking about. Uh, the idea is tripping somebody up over believing what God says. When our lives, including our diet, contradicts our faith, when it makes a contradictory statement, then we need to examine that and change that. So we need to have a proper purpose in our diet to exalt the Savior and to edify the saints. Those two principles, those two things go a long way. Number two, we need to have a proper perspective regarding diet. That's one of the things we continue to try to do in this message tonight. Consider a few things, if you would, under a proper perspective regarding our diet. Go to Matthew chapter 6, where we were last Sunday night. The first thing I would say about physical diet, it is not a primary issue. It is a secondary issue. What we put in our bodies is not primary. The condition of your soul is primary. When diet matters is when it affects the soul of someone else and how they think about the Lord. Uh, when diet matters is when it affects you and limits you in serving God. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. We'll get into the principles regarding diet. But here the proper perspective is Jesus said your diet is secondary, not primary. It's secondary, not primary. Don't misunderstand me. Just because it's secondary doesn't mean it's not important. But the Lord said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. I don't want you anxious, worried, and careful. Take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for the, your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Skip down to verse 31 if you're there in Matthew 6. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Now, for the longest time, I read this verse, and what I can understand is people saying, oh, no, we're going to starve. But how do you know there are people who aren't starving, but they're still worrying over their diet all the time? What should we eat? That's what he says. Take no thought what you should eat or what you should drink. Let God provide for you and eat what he gives you. Yes. Let God provide and eat what he gives you. You know what? There are certain diets I can't afford. I remember living in Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, there was the fresh market. Man, I could not buy groceries at the fresh market. We'd have starved to death. I mean, everything was expensive. Five dollars for a gallon of milk. Our family goes to about eight of those a week. I ain't paying $40 a week for milk. If I'm going to do that, I'll buy me a cow. 
right? Probably need to do that anyway. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, you may not be able to afford certain diets. Live inside the means God gives you. Give thanks for what you have and pray over your food. You see what I'm saying? Diet is not something we're supposed to be careful about. It's secondary, not primary. Not only are we not supposed to sit around and wring our hands saying, oh no, we're going to starve. I don't, he says, take no thought what ye shall eat or what you should drink. Let God guide you in that. Does the Spirit of God, does he have the ability to tell us how to eat? Sure he does. Of course he does. Do you realize that the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul specifically directed Timothy's diet? He said, drink no longer water, but use a little wine. That would not be fermented wine in the context of Scripture. That's the only, the only word for, great, for the fruit of the vine in the Bible is wine, okay, or fruit of the vine. So you have to read it in context. So he says, use no longer water, water but drink, use a little wine. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. He said, Timothy, you're drinking too much water. You need a little bit of wine, fruit of the vine, the grape, to help your stomach a little bit. And uh, God, through the Apostle Paul, directed Timothy's diet. You know what Timothy's problem was? He was anxious. He was careful. And so God directed him just like he can us. So I'm trying to say this is uh, diet is not a primary concern. It's secondary. Jesus said, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's why I said secondary, not primary. Seek ye what? First, the kingdom of God. You seek first God's will. That's the kingdom. He's an authority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. God will clothe you and God will feed you if you do his will. I wish every Christian, I believe after a person gets baptized, this is probably the first principle they need to get a hold of. Uh, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Evidence that through believer's baptism and then get a hold of the fact that God will meet your physical needs if you make his will for your life priority. You say obeying God is primary. Obeying God is primary. What I eat and what I drink and what I wear is secondary. How many times we get that flipped around? We get up in the morning, what we are most concerned about today is what are we putting in our bodies, what are we putting on our bodies. I hope I can tend to my soul, okay? We may not feed it with God's word, we may not spend time in prayer, but... Boy, we, we make sure we got the physical. And Jesus said, no, diet is secondary, not primary. And uh, by the way, that's going to be true with every issue we deal with regarding the body. Spiritual things are primary. Physical things are secondary and should complement the spiritual aspect. Integrity is when my inside and my outside match. Right? When I'm living by faith, that should be reflected in what I eat. So it's not a primary concern, it's secondary. Number two or let her be under the perspective, the proper perspective regarding diet. Our diet is neither a means or mark of righteousness. A person is not made righteous or entrance is not given into God's kingdom through your diet. That's what we read in 1 Corinthians 8. Meat commendeth us not to God. It's not meat that commends us to God, not meaning the food you eat that makes you righteous in the sight of God. Our diet can be wrong, it can indicate unrighteousness, but it's not diet that is one of the steps of God's plan of salvation, as some false religions teach. I've shared this with you, I was speaking with a man one time, we were over in Libya, and we were having a conversation about the things of God, and he was of a different persuasion about some things, and so uh, he didn't really believe in a literal hell, and so we're going back and forth discussing these things. I said, let me ask you something. I said, if I, so what happens if I don't keep the Sabbath? He said, well, you should, and he kind of hem-hauled around. I said, what if I eat pork? He said, then you will go to hell. 
That's in direct contradiction to what the Bible says. But that's what he said. That's what he believed. And I'm trying to say this. God's word says, no, that's not so. It's not a means of righteousness. It does not commend us to God, although it can, what we eat can cause others to sin. It can be a stumbling block, and it can be a sin in us. A proper diet is not a means or mark of righteousness. Consider a few texts of Scripture. Colossians chapter 2. There were those teaching that there was a certain sedentary kind of a diet you had to have that indicated you were righteous. There were those that were trying to drag people back to the Old Testament dietary laws, and the Lord Jesus fulfilled all of that. And we see that in Acts chapter 10, 9 and 10, where Peter sees the sheep come down from heaven and all kinds of beasts there, and the Lord Jesus said, Rise and eat. And uh, that's a different message for a different time. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, the Bible says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which have not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. So let no man judge you in meat or in drink, meaning what you eat or drink or the way you observe the calendar is not how you get saved. It is Jesus Christ that gives salvation. And so when someone says, you're not saved because you eat that, don't let them do that. Don't pay heed to that. The body is of Christ. And so then it's not a means of righteousness. It's not primary. It's secondary. It's not our diet. is not a means of righteousness or even a mark of our righteousness. Uh, it, is, it is a tool to be used to accomplish righteous purposes, if you would. We could say it that way. Look very quickly at 2 Timothy chapter 4. And some of these verses I'll come back to, but I want to go ahead and have you turn there now, Second Timothy chapter 4, verse, um, excuse me, I'm in the wrong, First Timothy chapter 4, First Timothy chapter 4, verse, start in verse 1. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience here with a hot iron. Notice verse 3, forbidding to marry, There'll be those in the name of religion, in the name of Christianity, that will forbid marriage. God says that's not right. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. He said there's going to be people that command you to abstain from meats that God has told you you are free to eat. And then he tells Timothy, verse 4, For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and Prayer. And so our point is a proper perspective of diet says, number one, it's not primary, it's secondary. Number two, it is not a means or mark of righteousness. It's not, I don't obtain righteousness with God through my diet and, and what I eat. So we understand that's not it. Letter C, what we do eat should be sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. Meaning, if any aspect of the Word of God does forbid me to eat something or eat at a certain point in time, I should do so out of obedience to Him, to glorify Him, and should have an understanding of that. It's sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. If the Lord will allow, I'm planning next week, and again, very simple, basic message. I'd like to preach to you a message on why we pray over our food. I know Christians, I remember when I first moved here, we had a family we worked with, and I don't, I'm not being unkind or critical, just something I observed, and they were, they were always concerned about getting sick. To, uh, fearful about getting sick, very fearful. And so they were very meticulous in diet. They had a number of 
different things they did with their diet, very meticulous. Again, I don't mean unkindness, but they were sick very often. So with all the care they took for their diet, they were sick. They had some things in their diet that God says is folly. I'll deal with that in a few minutes. But beyond that, I remember observing a young man in this family never prayed over his food. They were very meticulous over what they were eating, uh, the health food, and spent lots of money on that and things, but didn't pray over the food. Now, the Bible says our food is sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. And it is to be prayer over the table. It's not just a habit. We actually to stop and thank God for what He's provided. By the way, if you pray over what you eat and you're eating something you ought not, it's hard to pray over it and thank the Lord for it. It just, I think it's part of what God's talking about. You need to be able to thank God with a good conscience for what you're about to put in you, right? And so then it's sanctified by the Word of God, the principles of His Word, and by prayer. Pray over our food. And so uh, it should be sanctified with the Word of God and prayer, being received with thanksgiving. Letter D, under a proper perspective. It's letter, letter A. It's uh, not a primary but a secondary concern in our diet. It is not a means of righteousness. It should be sanctified with the Word of God and prayer. And we should control our diet, not allow our diet to control us. Don't miss that. We are to control and be in control of what we eat, not be controlled by our appetite. That's true with everything. The child of God is not to be brought under the power of any. Meaning we're not to be subservient to anyone but Christ. And so we're not to let our diet run our lives And by the way, that goes a couple of ways. That can be gluttony, and it can also be carefulness. You with me? It can be either one. Over here, I can't say no to another helping or something else because I like it so much, it tastes so good. Over here, I can say, oh, I'm afraid to eat this and afraid to eat that. It might give me this disease, and I might get that. No, both of those, my diet is controlling me. I'm not to live that way. I'm to live under the rule of the Holy Spirit. This I say in Galatians 5.16, Walk in the Spirit and you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Does the Spirit of God have the ability to take the Bible, make application to what we're putting in our bodies and give us some clear direction? He can govern any part of our lives that we'll let Him, including this. And so then, uh, our proper perspective is we're to control our diet and it's not to control us. 1 Corinthians 9.24-27, we looked at last week. He says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all... But one received the prize, so run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I what? Keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He says, I keep my... You think this included Paul's diet? Of course it did. Of course it did. And so they were not to be controlled by it. Proverbs chapter 23 uh, in verses 1 through 3 and Proverbs 23, 20 and 21. We'll read those here in just a few moments in regard to having proper principles. But they speak of Proverbs 23, 3. I believe it is, says, And put a knife to thy throat if thou be a man given to appetite. Meaning if you are letting your cravings and appetite rule your life, then... You're in danger. You're in grave danger. Uh, you might as well get it over with quickly by putting a knife through your throat. He's not recommending suicide. He's showing the danger of being ruled by our appetite. And so then, a proper purpose in diet, a proper perspective of diet. Thirdly, we should have proper principles, which we've already been discussing, but 
we'll, we'll, we'll give you four things here under the proper principles regarding our diet, and I'm going to give them to you in the form of a question. When it comes to what I put in my body, I need to ask, number one, will it debilitate me if I put it in my body? So, for instance, is it a sin for a Christian to drink alcohol or use drugs that are going to debilitate my mind? And the answer quickly is yes. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Look, if you would, at Proverbs 23. Proverbs chapter 23. Someone said, well, you're not to be judging in meat or drink. I didn't say if someone does that, they're not saved. I'm telling you, the saved person shouldn't do it. See, we're not... Yes, does a person get saved by stopping drinking alcohol? No, they don't. That's not how you... I've known people that stopped drinking alcohol, but they didn't get saved. But I'll say this, the saved person ought not drink alcohol. Because the body is the Lord's. How many of you know what effect alcohol has on the mind? Of course we do. It's debilitating. And we are not to be fools, but wise, Galatians 5 says, be not unwise, uh, be not fools, but wise, understanding the will of the Lord. Then verse 18 says, and be not drunk with wine when is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Meaning, don't let a physical substance rule your mind and debilitate your mind, but let the Spirit of God rule your life. When a man puts alcohol in his body, and by the way, for those who defend it, it's no wonder why Proverbs 20 verse 1 is written the way it is. Wine is a mocker. You know what God says? Wine will mock you. It will shame you. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Are Christians supposed to be wise or fools? Wise. We're wise. And so Proverbs 23 says this. In verse, uh, let's, let's start reading in verse 29. Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes, they that tarry long at the wine. If it just stopped there, you'd say, well, don't drink too much. Ah, but look what else he says. They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek Mixed wine. God's going to give some definition. When he says mixed, he's talking about the mixing of fermentation into the wine so that it is intoxicating. He'll give some more definition in just a moment. When wine or fruit of the vine became something you want to stay away from because it's going to make a fool out of you. So he goes on to say in uh, verse uh, uh, 31, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. Help me here, class. What is that describing? Fermentation. There's no doubt about it. That is describing the fermentation process. When wine, and in those days there was no preservation process, so when you watch it start doing this, when the color changes and it starts gurgling and bubbling because it's fermenting, God says, don't drink too much of it. Is that what he said? He said, don't look at it. Meaning, don't set your eyes on it desiring it going to bite you. It's going to sting you. Look what it says next. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, verse 31, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. Thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. 
That last statement says it's addictive. Though it has beat you, though it has bruised you, though it has stung you, the last thing you say is, but I'm going after it again. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. One of the concerning things to me about the state of our nation today is preacher after preacher is ceasing to preach what the Bible says about alcohol. And may I say this, if you're a Christian, stand for the truth on this issue. God's Word is not, it's not unclear. The pressure of the culture says don't preach that, but it's what God's Word says. And we preachers ought to love you enough to tell you the truth about it. Wine will get you. Alcohol will get you. And by the way, marijuana is not mentioned in the Bible. Cocaine is not mentioned in the Bible. But nobody has any trouble saying you ought to put that stuff in your body. Unless you live in the state of Oregon. <laughs> anyway, fact of the matter is, those things, they, they have the same effect on us that alcohol does. Correct? They take over the body and control. May I say, do you know how many marriages have been destroyed because a husband went out and got drunk? He would have never dreamed of committing adultery on his wife till he got drunk. Many times he's committed an affair on her and doesn't even remember it because he was made a fool by alcohol. Amen? It's true. And so then the Christian should never put something in his or her body that we know is going to debilitate our mind. One last text on that, Proverbs 31. Solomon's mother is giving him some counsel. Proverbs chapter 31. And she's talking about him being a king and why he shouldn't drink wine says in uh, verse 3, Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. Verse 4, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give him strong drink, give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remembers misery no more. So I says, ah, there's advocating of drinking there. If there is, it's for the dying. It's for the dying, someone who's in misery. May I say this? If you're saved and dying, you're still not in misery. <laughs> it's just not for the Christian to partake of. And so we need a clear mind to make good judgments. So we can be wise, understanding what is the will of the Lord. So principle number one in question form, does what I'm going to put in my body debilitate my ability to have good judgment? If it does, forego it. Number two, does it defile me? Proverbs 23 talks about when you lose that judgment, your eyes will behold perverse things. You'll do things that you would never do that are unclean because you've lost your ability to say no. You've lost control of your body. And if it's going to do that, it's going to debilitate you and defile you. Stay away from it. Number three, does it discredit God's word and will, and you might even add worship, in the mind of another person? Paul talked about that matter of the conscience in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So let me just set that illustration up again. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, if you be by an unbeliever, so someone who's not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ, they bid you to come to a feast and you be disposed to go. It's not a sin to eat with an unbeliever. Go ahead. And go ahead and eat what they put before you. Don't sit there and say, was this offered at an idol's temple? Don't ask that. But if they say to you, now this was offered at the idol's temple, then you say, I can't eat it. I'm not going to put that in my body. Why? You, I, this is not hard. I think so many Christians have never attained this skill. And we need to. It is a, it is a skill of wisdom to say, what effect will my decision have on their mind? Am I putting my stamp of approval on something that's wicked? 
Worshiping something other than God is wicked. The Lord Jesus Christ saved us unto the worship of uh, the one true God, Jehovah God, our Creator and our Savior. And to advocate idolatry is to encourage sin in someone else. And so if someone says, yeah, this was, this was uh, offered in sacrifice to an idol, you need to forego that and say, then I, I can't eat that. Why? Because it's going to make you lose your salvation? No. Because it'll make them believe that worshiping false idols is okay. Now, I understand we don't have a lot of that going on, but I tell you what, if you went over and you were trying to serve the Lord in, um, uh, what, what is Myanmar, it used to be Burma, there's idols, temples everywhere, still to this day. And the reality of this text would strike home a little more true if you were there and you were trying to win people to the Lord and one of your neighbors said, hey, you're a guest in our country, come eat. And they say, this is fresh from our, our idol that we worship right here. It is offered in sacrifice. If you said, I can't eat that, you know what you're saying? You're making a statement about the vile nature of idolatry. And he says, don't be a partaker of that. Let me give you another text of when it would be wrong. This is probably a little more applicable to us here in the United States of America. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This would be a time to forego a meal. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He's dealing with a problem in the church. Someone that was a professing believer, a brother in Christ. And Paul says this. He says in verse um, verse. Eight. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in, in, a, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must you needs go out of the world. He says, I'm not telling you can't eat with a lost person that you know is living an immoral life. You know that's what they are. You'd have to leave the world if you weren't going to do that. He says, he's going to clarify Verse 11, but now I have written unto you not to keep company of any man that is called a brother, someone who claims to be a believer in Christ, be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat. So if you have a person that claims to be in the family of God and they are living in one of these open sins, when you eat with them, you're advocating their lifestyle. So don't eat with them. Don't fellowship and share a meal with them lest you encourage sin in them. The unbeliever that worships... Let me ask you something. When it comes to salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, what does the world believe about that? The world's view is all religion's good. All religion has good in it. I mean, is that not the view we're having pressed on us today? And if we're not careful, we'll advocate that by our behavior. If you sit down and eat with a, an idol worshiper knowing that he's feeding you what he has offered his idol, you know what you're saying? We really are in fellowship. We're not. They need to understand we're not of the same faith. We're worshiping a different God. When a brother is living in open sin, whether it be fornication or covetousness or extortion, things that we know even the world knows is sinful, and we sit down and commune in fellowship with them and eat a meal with them like as if they were in fellowship with God, we are being a partaker of their sin, and therefore, at this point, we should say, if it's going to discredit God's word or discredit God's will and disparage that in the mind of another person so that by my eating with them, I am encouraging them to reject the Lord as their Savior or to reject His will for their life, I will not eat. I believe this with all my being. If more Christians would practice this, we'd see more repentance and more revival. 
What we've done is the name of love, we've hated people. We have encouraged them. We've made them to believe that they are as ready for heaven by worshiping idols as we are by worshiping Jesus Christ. And that's a lie. We have made brethren who are under the chastisement of God, we've treated them like they're fine when they're not and kept them under the chastisement of God and perhaps entered into it with them. So instead of them getting right and the church being purified and sanctified for God's use, instead defilement runs rampant when we would say, you know what, I'm going to take this matter of my diet and who I eat with and these kind of things seriously so that I'm not ever discrediting the word and will of God and I'm not ever deceiving someone into thinking that when they're believing a lie and living in sin, that it's okay. And so then, does it debilitate me? Does it defile me in such a way it's causing me to disobey God? Does it discredit God's word and will in the mind of another, causing them to be offended and reject the truth? And then fourthly, does it dominate me? We already addressed that. Am I being ruled by an appetite? Let me read these verses now very quickly. We have one more quick point after this, and I'm done. Proverbs chapter 23, I mentioned it earlier, didn't read it, but I'm going to read it now. Proverbs chapter 23, verse, by the way, Proverbs 23 is a tremendous chapter for young people to read and be very familiar with. It has so much to do with appetites and youthful lusts and uh, honoring parents and avoiding strange women and foolish men and alcohol and things that are pitfalls for so many. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 1. When thou sittest to eat with the ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Meaning, if you have a beastly appetite that rules you, and you cannot say no to it, you are committing slow suicide, basically. Verse 3. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. And you go on and read that in its context. A ruler puts a lot before you. He tells you eat and drink, but his heart's not with you. So you be careful. Don't just say, oh, it all looks good. I'm going to gorge myself. Right? I'm just, oh, I've got to have it all. You need to be able to say, no, that's enough. I'm done. That's enough. Then Proverbs 23, verse 20 says this. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty. You know what the drunkard is? A man that's ruled by his appetite for alcohol. You know what the glutton is? A man that's ruled by his appetite for food. The drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe the man with rags. So ask yourself these things. I would say add one more. Does it debilitate me? Does it defile me? Does it discredit God and his word and will in the mind of another? Does it dominate me? Let me read another verse very quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Paul said this uh, concerning his own decision about uh, how to handle eating and drinking. He said, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I'm not going to be dominated by something uh, that takes rule and control of me. So does it dominate me? And I would say, finally, does it distract me? No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that may please him, who has chosen him to be a soldier. When we're careful about our diet, it is distracting. We can't even think about fulfilling the will of God. We're so consumed with what we're putting in our bodies. May I say this? There are those who can't give to the work of God because they are so consumed with that. So does it debilitate, defile, discredit God's word, dominate me or distract me from serving God? Number four. So uh, we need a proper purpose, a proper perspective, proper principles, and finally, a proper persuasion. When it comes to our diet, we need to be confident in the Lord's provision. 
need to be confident in the Lord's provision. Look at Luke chapter 12. And if you don't have time to turn there, I'm going to turn there as quick as I can and read it because we're out of time this evening. Luke chapter 12, verse 29. The Lord Jesus says, And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. And then, of course, in verse 33 of Matthew 6, he had said this. And then in verse 31 here in Luke 12, he says, But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Don't live a life that's careful and troubled about our diet and food and will we eat and what are we going to eat, but have confidence in the Lord's provision. Letter B, we should be content with the Lord's provision. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said, In having food and raiment, let us be there with Content. Let us be there with content. Sometimes we have a little more liberty in choosing what we eat, and sometimes we have less, and sometimes it has to do with the Lord's provision. We need to be content. Talk about having a proper persuasion concerning our diet. We need to have conviction, meaning some of the things I'm preaching to you tonight need to become our personal conviction. I'm not going to eat something that's going to rule me. I'm not going to eat something that's going to cause me to be a fool and be defiled. I'm not going to put something in my body that's going to send the wrong message to someone else. I don't want to send the message to someone else that sin is okay. I don't want to do that. I would say this, and you can fault me here if you would, but I, I personally, if someone were to tell me, Pastor, come over and eat, would you? And they're about to feed me, and they say, Now, we cook this meal with alcohol. I hope that's okay. You say, well, Pastor, you won't get drunk from that. I know that. The alcohol cooks out. I got that. But at that point, I have to say, you know, I'd rather not. Because what I'm doing if I eat is saying, well, alcohol's okay. God's Word says it's not. I don't want to send the wrong message, right, to that person, that it's okay to sin. And so then we need to have conviction about what we do and do not do, meaning Paul said this way, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. You need to spend time with the Lord getting some things settled. Lord, when it comes to what I put in my body, I want to please you with this. I want people to see you in how I eat. I want to glorify you and make sure I'm not a stumbling block to someone else. There's a lot of bantering today about liberty to drink alcohol. I wonder what that does for people who got us saved out of drunkenness. What does that do to the person that can't even smell it without craving it? Oh, they don't care about that. All they care about is being popular in the community, being in with the in crowd. And while they're doing that, they're causing somebody else to stumble right back into the sin God just got them out of. We ought to be sensitive. You know what? My grandpa, after God saved him out of alcohol, he said he would avoid the old streets he used to walk down because he didn't need to sniff of it. Now, what do you do if you say, well, I'm a Christian and I got liberty, and you bring it around a brother? That's wicked. That's not considering his well-being. It's considering my rights. We need convictions about these things. That's about alcohol. Paul said this. He said, if eating meat offend my brother, I'll not eat it while the world stands. We'll read that in just a moment. Romans 14, 21 says this. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth. You're going to cause him to trip up and sin or is offended or is made weak. You realize the idolatrous lifestyle had shackle holds on people. It wasn't just a bunch of little idols. There was an immoral lifestyle that went with the idolatry. And what Paul is saying is you be careful because your liberty to eat something that you truly do have liberty to do might trigger them to think it's okay back go back to the idolatrous lifestyle. And you're going to get them in trouble. And so then, you know what? 
I like a good piece of bacon, but do you realize I could live the rest of my life without ever eating bacon again and never be out of God's will? I don't have to have it. I enjoy a good cup of coffee, but listen, friend, I don't have to have it. I don't care. I, you know, whatever it may be, those are things we don't have to have. And so then we need to be mindful and careful about what we do. Romans 14, 21. It is good neither to eat flesh nor drink wine or any other, nor any other thing whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended, kept from trusting God's word or is made weak. You know, weak in the conscience of others and, and debilitate them spiritually. And so then, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, as we close, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, Paul said this, So in our persuasion, we need confidence in the Lord's provision, contentment with His provision, convictions in our life about the principles that govern what we eat. We need to consider, does it please the Lord? Is it going to hinder me in serving God? Is it going to hinder someone else in serving God or in their salvation? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, 1 Corinthians 8, 13. Bible says, Paul says this, he says in verse 12, but when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. I've used this illustration till probably I have overused it. I used Brother Ross earlier as an illustration, but it just so stood out to me. I heard a Muslim man who'd been Come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, been born again, give his testimony. And if you've heard this, just bear with me. But it's so, such a good illustration. And when he got saved, he said he knew the first thing his dad would think is now that you're a Christian, you're going to eat pork for every meal. So once the Lord saved him, he had one thing on his mind. He knew his dad was an unbeliever and was on his way to hell, and he wanted to win his father to faith in Jesus Christ. And he knew that if he ate pork, his dad would not listen to another word he said. Because he would believe that his Christian faith was just about allowing him to eat whatever he wanted to. So he purposed, the moment, soon after he got saved, though he knew he had liberty, he would not eat pork. He called his dad on the phone. This man was from Detroit, Michigan, if my memory serves me correct, and his father was still in the Middle East. And he called him, began to explain to him. He and his dad had a good relationship. That he had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And his dad made some snide comment about, I assume you're eating pork, and so on. Just exactly what the boy said. He said, no, dad, I've not touched it even since I've been a Christian. And he won his father to Christ. His dad got saved. Now, do you think he's glad that he forwent his own liberty? See, what he's saying is, he, he knew what he ate had nothing to do with his salvation, but he knew it had something to do with somebody else's salvation. Now, here's where it's at tonight. In our diet, we need to be mindful. We need to be mindful. What we're putting in, do we need a concern for our health? Sure we do. Bodily exercise profiteth, but profiteth little. The fact is, we really need to be concerned about what are the spiritual implications of my physical diet. Is it going to hinder me in serving God? Is it going to hinder someone else in trusting Christ for salvation? Or is it going to hinder a brother or sister in living a life of victory over sin? If my diet is enabling someone else to reject Christ or to reject His will, I need to change it. Amen? And in our diet, we should glorify God.